Great. Our lovely Richard, that was nice. How you all doing? All right. Good. It's great to be um, back here again. It was great to have so many of you coming over um, to the Pioneer North um, celebration. Thank you so much to all those of you that were able to make it uh, across. It was really, um, for me, just loved um, the, the sense of family of being together and supporting one another um, in what God's doing in the region and also just believing God for more in the north of our country. Um, just one of the things that Ness Wilson uh, mentioned was how many people she started to hear, not necessarily from within Pioneer, but just across the church in general, um, saying that they felt God calling them to relocate to the north. And therefore, that sense that God must be doing something in the north of our nation. So just excited to be contending together. Um, Pioneer as a network, we know very clearly that we are not everything, um, that there is so much more to God's church than our little network. And yet a sense that um, we can be confident and full of faith that he has nevertheless called us to play a part in what he is doing. Um, so we're really excited about that. Um, so thanks for being a part of that. And I'm, um, you know, really pleased that you're having Ness in as well. She'll be great and you'll love her um, when she comes to speak. But um, for now, let's look at the um, word of God together. Um, We're going to start off in Habakkuk. Um, Now, if you're familiar with um, the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk um, is annoyed Um, he's frustrated um, because he's a prophet and he's pretty clear that God wants to do some amazing things. And yet he's annoyed because all he sees around him is things going wrong and not, you know, the way he he has this sense, he's got this prophetic sense, this is how it's supposed to be. Uh, And I look around me and actually I see the opposite and I see things going wrong and I see, you know, the people that don't follow God are doing rather well for themselves. Um, And the people that are following God seem to be going through challenges and struggles. Um, I'm sure none of us have ever felt like that. Um, and, and so Habakkuk starts to kind of complain about it and, and, and the Lord responds to Habakkuk and he encourages him um, to, to hold on and to keep believing, to keep waiting for what God has promised. And I just want to pick up a couple of verses um, out of that um, in Habakkuk chapter 2 um, and verse 2. It says, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation And make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The righteous person will live by their faithfulness. By being full of faith. The righteous person, despite the challenges around. I love, I love the fact that it says, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Well, we just said it was lingering. Um, in God, there's no delay. But to us, it feels like it's lingering. And, and the word of God comes that if we want to live the life, that God has called us to live. The way to live that life is to be full of faith. To be faithful. 
Um, and this is a theme that the New Testament picks up again and again and again. The righteous will live by faith. This is something that Paul says again and again to various different churches that he writes to. The righteous will live by faith. In fact, to the Corinthian church, he says that you will live not by sight, but by faith. So I found it very interesting, the word that came right at the start of our gathering together this morning about those bats not seeing with natural eyes, but hearing the echoes and God speaking to us about will we hear the echoes of eternity? Will we hear what he's saying to us? Will we live by that rather than by sight? The righteous will live by faith. Well, you can't talk much about faith in the church without ending up in the book of Hebrews. Um, So we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, We're not going to read the whole chapter, but we are going to read quite a chunk of it. So um, if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn or dial up or whatever you do for your Bible. Hebrews 11 from verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Not living by sight, but living by faith. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So to have faith, we have to believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek after him. But faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so Habakkuk's complaining because he's saying, well, I don't always see the people who are seeking you being rewarded and the people who couldn't care less about you. I see them being rewarded and, and getting on in life and succeeding. And God says, no, you've got to have faith. You've got to trust that I am good And that I reward those who seek me, even when you don't see it. Even when what you see around you seems to fly in the face of everything you were hoping for, you've got to keep trusting me. And you've got to keep believing me. Because the righteous person will live by their faithfulness. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. And if you've been around for a while, you must have heard a sermon at some point about how stupid poor Noah would have looked when he was building this massive boat in the middle of what was basically fairly desert-like conditions. Um, He was certain of what he didn't see because God had spoken something to him. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went 
even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Sometimes we have to stop and think about it, don't we? And and actually figure out what was going on here. God had made a promise. You're going to have this promised land, but he's living in a tent. He's living in a tent. It doesn't look like he's possessed the land, does it? It doesn't look like he's, he's not got mansions and palaces and, and all of the rewards that we might associate with this great man of faith. No, he's receiving something by faith and he's living in a tent. For he was looking forward, it says, to the city with foundations. Not tents, but a city with proper foundations and plumbing, I'm sure. His architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And all these people were still living by faith when they died. In other words, they were all still having to believe in things that they could not see. And they were all still having to be certain of the things that they hoped for. Because if you're still in faith, then there's still more to come. So they died in faith, believing that there was still more for what God was wanting to do. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. And I will skip to verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Just an aside here, it kind of challenges some of our thinking about faith, doesn't it? These people still actually got executed. Their faith didn't mean that all their problems disappeared. Their faith was in something bigger. They died in faith. Some faced jeers and flogging. And even chains and imprisonment, they were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. I mean, I can't help commenting on that. It's kind of like, you know, some got sawn in two and some others had to wear sheepskins. (laughs) Destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. 
These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus as he approached his crucifixion. Think about Jesus who was rejected, mocked and jeered by the very people who just a few days earlier had been throwing palm branches before him and shouting Hosanna, hallelujah, isn't he wonderful? And now they've all turned on him. Even his disciples are cowering back in fear and ashamed and afraid of their connection with him. And Jesus is the one who's come to give his life for the salvation of all humanity is mocked and jeered and rejected and spat at. And a crown of thorns is rammed upon his head and he's hung upon a cross. And he dies a brutal death. And worse, far worse than all of that, the sin of the whole world is placed upon his shoulders. Our rejection of God, our indifference, our outright rebellion, our rejection, all that love that God has consistently and constantly showered upon us as his people, all thrown back in his face. That rejection, that shame, all poured upon Jesus in that moment. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? All the sin, all the shame, all the guilt of the whole world poured upon one man in that moment as he hangs there on the cross. Consider how he endured it. It says, for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. For the reconciliation of all people to God our Father. That people would know the love of God. That people would know intimacy with God. That people would know relationship with him. That people would know purpose. That people would be part of God's amazing plan to bring his goodness and his justice and his righteousness to the ends of the earth. Because he saw all of that, because he saw the plan and purpose of God fulfilled, he was able to endure it. What has God set before us? What has God set before us? What has God set before us as his people, the church of Jesus Christ? What has God set before us as community church? Here in Huddersfield, what has he set before us 
that we might see it, that we might perceive it, and that because we have seen it, because of that joy set before us, we might endure. We might endure the challenges that we face. We might endure the opposition that we face. We might endure the frustrations that we encounter. Sure, none of you have ever been frustrated with church. Sure, none of you have never had any disappointments in life. Never had anything that didn't go your way. Never had a prayer you prayed that seemingly didn't get answered. Never been told no by God. These are all things that we've experienced. But what is it that you've seen? What is it that God has set before us that means that we can endure our disappointments? That means that we can endure our frustrations? That means that we can endure the things about our life together that aren't quite the way that we would have done it? There ain't a church anywhere in the world that is entirely the way that you would do it. Because if there was, it'd just be you. What have you seen? What have you seen that makes everything else seem insignificant? You know you've seen something that God is showing you when everything else starts to seem insignificant compared to that. Well, probably not a completely trustworthy test. You might have seen something wrong and everything else seems insignificant. But certainly if you do see something that God is showing you, other things will start to fade away. What have you seen that means that you can endure? Um, When I was younger, quite a lot younger, um, I used to be a competitive swimmer. Um, I think there's a picture for this one. Um, There we go. That's not me. Um, And um, I would get up um, before school. I was probably about, I don't know, 13, 14. Well, from the age of about 8 until about 14, 15, I was a competitive swimmer. And I would get up, um, I think it was like three mornings a week. I'd be up at like 5.30, off for training. Uh, About three or four evenings a week, I'd be out training. Um, Most weekends, I'd be off on a coach to a competition somewhere. And my whole life was kind of like competitive swimming. And, you know, I was going for all of this. And then one day I realized um, I was okay. I was doing all right. But I was like, I was getting bronze. I was getting bronze. I wasn't getting gold. And it suddenly dawned on me, I'm enduring all of this, like, you know, training three mornings a week, training four or five evenings a week, going out every weekend. I've now got to the age of about 15. I've realized that there are things to do. There are, you know, people to have relationships with and, you know, there's socializing to be done. And I'm like, I am giving my whole life for bronze medals. And I realized it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it for me. Not, you know, if you're getting bronze, that's great. Well done. Fantastic. But I realized that, that I didn't want to give up every moment of my life. I didn't want to give up every bit of, you know, sacrifice, having any kind of social life whatsoever. I could do that if I was going to be an Olympic champion. I could do that if I was going to be the best, if I was going to succeed. But I was like, it's not worth it. And so I gave up, much to my mum's disappointment. Um, But I gave up because there wasn't enough 
There wasn't enough for me to endure. There wasn't, you know, athletes that give up so much of their lives. It's because they've seen something. Because they're running after something. And, and for me, I didn't have faith. I didn't believe it was going to happen. I couldn't. And I was like, I can't, give, I can't give my whole life for this. I don't know if you ever, this is, this is some time ago. It's just like this vague memory I have from, from growing up. So some of you may or may not remember it. You may look at me completely blank, blankly. But do any of you remember Clive James on TV and the Japanese endurance? Oh, phew. Now, uh, there's a picture for that as well. Um, there, was this, there was this show, and these people, I, I don't understand it, but it was, it's big in Japan apparently, or it was at that time. Um, these game shows where people would endure the most horrific things. So they would like throw ice water all over them, or they would, they would like be submerged in icy water and made to drink loads and loads of water, and then they were like trying to endure needing the toilet. Um, or um, they would be like put in tanks of water with fish that were like eating them. Um, and and, and the, the whole kind of point of the game was just who can endure the longest. And they were obviously driven by the, by the prize, by the sense of they would be the one who, the champion who'd lasted the longest. When there is a prize set before us, when there's something that we really believe, I don't know why they thought that was worth going for, but... Um, you know, they, they thought it was worth it to have the title of, of the greatest endurer. But when, when we believe it's worth it, we can endure the most incredible things. When we believe, when we've seen something, when we've got faith, when we're pursuing something, when we trust that God is able and will fulfill his promise then we can endure all kinds of opposition. And God commends endurance. God rewards endurance. God rewards faithfulness. You might remember the story that Jesus told of the servants who had um, different amounts of bags of money and and they were to invest them. And and, and the the commendation that those who who um, invest the money and produce more, the commendation that they receive is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into your master's rest. And, And from that, we take this great encouragement that one day we might get to stand before God And hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest. But what what is this person being commended for? They're not being commended for, well done, you were part of a church that had X thousand people in it. They're not being commended for, well done, um, you produced, you know, X amount of profit in your life or whatever it was. The thing they're being commended for is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Well done, you were faithful. You acted in line with what you were hoping for. You acted, you were obedient, you trusted, you lived your life in the light of what you were believing for. Of what you were trusting for. Of what you were hoping for. So what have we seen? What have we heard? What do we believe God for? 
That means no, no matter what happens, no matter what we have to go through, no matter what we have to face, we will keep going. And we will not give up. We will endure. And we will be commended for our faithfulness. Because we are certain of what we hope for. What has God entrusted to you? What has God entrusted to you and called you to be faithful with? What assignment has God given you? What has he entrusted to you? What is, in what ways is God calling you to be faithful? Well, just three um, different things that I want to suggest not an exhaustive list, but ways that we can live by faith together as God's people. Firstly, this, we need to read God's story together. We need to read God's story together. What I mean by that is, you know, the Bible is not just a kind of personal guidebook for Um, You know, with a set of rules, and if you live by these rules and follow these formulas, um, then you will get God's blessings in your life. You know, sometimes people treat it like that, and there are certain verses that you'll be able to apply in in those kind of ways. But really, at its heart, the Bible is a story. It's God's story. It's God's story that he has invited us into. And by reading the Bible together, rather than treating it as me and my personal relationship with God, me and my isolated, individualistic relationship with God, what he invites us into is to realize that this is his story about him and his people, about him and his family, about him and his community. By the way, I loved the fact that we started with a word about um, faith, about Not living by what we see, but by what we're hearing God saying to us. And our worship built to a point where God was speaking to us about being together. I was so excited because that's exactly the word that I've come with today. Um, Because we have to read this story together. We have to realize that what God calls us to believe for and contend for, you know, it has to be more than just a bigger car or a nicer holiday, or even a better career. Because those things, if that's all you've got faith for, that will not sustain you in the face of opposition. That will not sustain you in the face of frustration. When you get fed up, when things aren't working out, if it was only ever about material blessings, if it was only ever about certain things falling into place and being a bit easier in your life then you'll be even more frustrated and even more disappointed. But we have to read God's story together. And we have to own God's story together. And we have to realize that what he's called us into is far bigger than our own individual circumstances and situations. As we read God's story together, we start to get excited together about what he is showing us. And we recognize that God has called us to understand that story together. So it's not all about me and my individual interpretation, but it's about us being part of this story that has been going on for thousands of years. 
It's about us together here in Community Church finding our place in this amazing story of God and what he's doing in our world. We have to read God's story together. And as we do that, we have to remember our callings together. If we're going to be faithful, if we're going to live by faith, if we're going to be faithful in the way that we live our lives, then we need to know what we have been called to. And we need to understand what we've been called to together. Because there are individual callings on our life, but God doesn't do that so that we can all just live independently of one another. But he places these callings upon our lives so that we can function together. Just as we sang about the the tapestry, the living tapestry that God is weaving together. And he's placing giftings and callings in different ones of our lives so that we can function together in this story that he's called us into. This story about the restoration of all things. About love and justice and peace filling our world. About an end to poverty and oppression and violence and injustice. About healing and reconciliation. This story that God has called us into together. And we remember the callings. Or in some of our cases we discover our callings. But discover doesn't begin with our. So we have to remember our callings. And if you haven't found it yet, discover it and then remember it. Um, But we work that out together. We work that out with one another because he's called us into his plan and purpose together. And thirdly, we need to rejoice in what we're receiving together. The Bible says you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so, although it lingers, although it feels like, um, to use the the old-fashioned word, although it tarries, Although we have to wait for it, although it it doesn't come immediately, we are nevertheless already receiving what we're hoping for. And therefore we have to rejoice together. We have to celebrate together. I'm not talking about pretending that there aren't frustrations. I'm not talking about not being real about the disappointments. Because we are called to mourn with those who mourn. There is a place for crying out, for, 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 for wailing at the sense of injustice, at the sense of frustration, that things are not as they should be. And yet we are nevertheless called to rejoice in what God is doing. We rejoice and we celebrate. You see, if we want to grow in our faith, we have to learn to rejoice in what God is doing rather than focusing all the time on what we feel God is not doing. It makes an incredible difference in terms of our attitude, our position of faith, when we become more focused on celebrating and rejoicing in what God is doing. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And yes, sometimes it feels like it's lingering. Sometimes it feels like it it hasn't happened yet. But now is not the time for us as the people of God to shrink back, to give up, to lose or abandon our hope. But now is a time for us to rejoice. Now is a time for us to be glad because God is on his throne. And God is working in our world. He's been working for thousands and thousands of years and he's not stopped yet. 
He's not given up on his plan. He's not given up on his purpose. He's got an amazing story and he's called us to be a part of it. We have to read that story together. We have to remind ourselves that we have been called into that story, that we have a part to play, that there are callings upon our life to which we must be faithful. You see, if you're going to live full of faith, you have to live obedient to the callings that God has placed upon your life. You have to be able to say, it doesn't matter if these other things don't fall into place. It doesn't matter if that move doesn't work out the way I hoped it would. It doesn't matter if that promotion doesn't happen the way I hoped it would. It doesn't matter if, if um, my bank balance grows in the way that I hoped it would. It doesn't matter if that relationship worked out in the way that it would. I'm not saying those things don't matter before God. I'm not saying that he's not concerned with our needs and our desires. What I am saying is by comparison, in perspective, those things don't matter. Compared to the call that he has placed upon your life. Compared to the destiny that is set before us as his people. Can I tell you this? Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again and every single knee will bow before him and every injustice will be done away with and every sickness will be healed. There will be new heavens and a new earth and the old order of things will have completely passed away. My friends, it is going to happen. Jesus will come back and his kingdom will be established in all of its entirety. Let's be certain of what we hope for. Let's be assured of what we've not yet fully seen. And therefore, let us run our race with endurance and perseverance. For the way that we will flourish and succeed in this life is by our faithfulness. It's by our faithfulness, by remaining full of faith. By remaining full of faith. Our God is with us. Our God is for us. Our God believes in us. Our God is invested in us. He's poured out himself in the person of his Holy Spirit upon our lives. Our God has set a great future ahead of us. Let us not become discouraged. Let us not give up. Let us not waver through unbelief. But let us hold on together to all that God has said to us. And let us unite, even as God has spoken to us through the prophetic word this morning. Let us not live by sight, but let us live by faith. And let us do that together. Let us hear him together. Let us unite around what we're hearing from him together. And let us run with perseverance together. Amen.